chapter 1. You recall as we opened up the book of Galatians a couple weeks ago, of course, Wes Bentley was here last week from Far Reaching Ministries, but as we opened up this book, Galatians is one of the epistles that's called the early epistles that Paul, uh, it's believed by scholars and accepted that Galatians actually was the first of the epistles that's recorded in the New Testament, penned by Paul the Apostle. Uh, the other two early epistles are First and Second Thessalonians, and those epistles weren't written till uh, Paul was on his second missionary journey there in Corinth. But we do know that Galatia, that area that is in south and east, uh, what is today Turkey, that area of Galatia, that Paul, as the book of Acts tells us, in chapters 13 and 14, Paul would go into that area and establish those churches of Galatia, Derby, uh, Lystra, Icodium, um, on that missionary journey, even though he went through much difficulties. And in the opening of this letter that he would write when he went back to Antioch of Syria, he would write to them because we know that Paul, first of all, as we read, he is emphasizing his apostolic authority. He says, I'm an apostle by the, uh, not the will of man, but by the will of, of God, the calling of God, divine calling of God in my life. Because there would be those who would come along and they would challenge Paul's apostolic authority. Hey, he, he's not one of the original twelves. He, he's bringing this doctrine of grace. It's not true. And they would challenge him. And then as Paul, as he's writing to them, he says, I'm an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. And after he gives a very brief and short greeting to the Christians of Galatia, he then addresses them why he's writing this letter to them. In verse 6, to read it again, he writes that I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And as we discussed last time, that there was a sect of Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, that did not accept the teaching of Paul, which was the gospel of Christ. And they were called Judaizers. And these Judaizers were coming in behind Paul's ministry, and they were perverting the gospel and bringing another gospel, which the apostle writes is not the gospel. Paul reiterating that there is only one gospel, and we need to remember that. And the theme of the book of Galatians is the just shall live not by the law, but the just shall live by faith. That's the theme of the book of Romans, taken from the book of Habakkuk, that prophet in the Old Testament. So Paul, right away, early in his ministry, he is writing this letter after his uh, missionary journey to them. And as he is writing to them, he needs to get them reestablished in the truth of the gospel once again in this doctrine of grace. Grace means the unmerited, unearned favor of God, that you're justified by faith. The law cannot save you. And those who bring this doctrine of legalism, they trouble you. And we see very strong language that Paul already has, has written in these few verses that we've read. I marvel that you turn away. And there are those who trouble you. He will go on to say that who has who's bewitched you, you know, you foolish Galatians. Uh, I'm afraid for you, he would write. Uh, you've been taken away from the gospel message. And he's very firm on this. And as we look at this, we left off at verses 8 and 9 that he would say to them that, that if we are an angel from heaven bringing any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it again. That's how serious he is about it. Even if an angel from heaven brings any other gospel than what has been brought to you by us, then let that angel, 
be accursed or damned. And as we continue, he's going to, in the next few verses, he's going to say that this gospel did not come from man. He didn't receive it from man. He didn't make it up himself, but it came to him directly through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you outline this epistle, chapters 1 and 2, what he does is he defends grace. Chapters 3 and 4, he gets them established once again in the doctrine of grace. And then chapters 5 and 6, he tells them how to live in grace. Because the accusation would come that you teach grace and you're just teaching the Christians that they can live any way that they want. And Paul would say, no, you don't walk after the flesh, you walk after the spirit. Even as he would write in the book of Romans chapter 6, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, certainly not. We're dead to sin. We identify with Christ in this newness of life, in this new resurrected life. So let's pick up our text as we see, again, the seriousness of the apostle. Uh, We know that uh, he was uh, just coming against, warning against those who brought a false doctrine and gospel. And he's doing that because of his love for the Christians. He wants them to be established in truth and not be trusting in that which cannot save them. I think that for us here, that most of us we can say, or at some point in your Christian life, before you go home to be with the Lord, that there's somebody that will come along and they will say, hey, you're not really saved unless you do this, unless you are baptized. How many people have called me? They'll call me on the radio and they'll argue with me. You have to be baptized in order to be saved. Or you have to worship on the Sabbath. Or you have to worship in this certain way. Or you have to do this certain act. And they trouble us. And we can be enjoying our relationship with the Lord and our salvation. And then somebody comes along and says, well, that's not good enough. And it troubles us, doesn't it? Taking us away from the truth of the gospel. So we want to be established in it once again. So now in verse 10, as we pick it up where we left off, the apostle writes, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. As we continue reading in this chapter, we will see that the apostle will write that the gospel that he is preaching, once again, as I've already mentioned, didn't come by him or any man. It's not a man-made doctrine. He didn't receive it from man. But it would come by revelation of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 10, when he writes, For do I now persuade men or God? Paul's idea is not... Uh, I want to persuade God to my point of view. We talk to a lot of people, and they'll tell you what they think God is like or what salvation, how to, to receive salvation, or this is why I'm going to be accepted into heaven. And they come up with their own ideas and their own theories and their own thoughts. Paul wanted to please God in the message that he gave, and that pleasing God would be a priority over pleasing men, what men thought. And the legalists, the Judaizers, may say, well, Paul's just trying to please you, Galatian, Gentile believers. When I say Gentile believers, those are non-Jewish believers. But he's just giving you this soft message. And Paul says, no. The apostle had received the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had gone through much persecution and brutality to defend that message. Even on his first missionary journey, when you read chapter 14 of Acts, he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. And I think about that. As he was drug out of the city, he was probably thrown in the garbage heap because that's where they had the, the garbage heap, left for dead. And he gets up and he goes back into the city. Personally, I think that would have been it for me. 
That's like, I'm done with this. He experienced evidence that he had some kind of malaria that affected his eyes, eye disease. At the end of the epistle, he writes, see what large letters I write to you. And then also he would write that I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ on my body, the marks that were left from him being stoned and left for dead. And and he would go through much persecution in his missionary journeys. And in his second journey, uh, he was beaten by rods in Philippi. He, He was mocked he he was persecuted the cities would ride around him like uh, in Ephesus he was thrown in prison when he was writing his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11 he writes about all the persecution he went through he went through shipwrecks and floating around in the Mediterranean Sea and he was flogged and beaten and hungry and all of this and we know that that persecution would continue even after he penned those words in second Corinthians chapter 11 and at the end of his life, as he was taken and put into that, that dungeon there in Rome in his second imprisonment, that he's writing to Timothy as he puts pen to parchment. And he says, Timothy, my departure's at hand. But you know my manner of life. And you know my doctrine. And you know my persecutions that I've gone through. And he would defend the gospel. He wasn't a man-pleaser. He would stand on the truth of God's word because he knew that eternity was at stake. It is very important for those who are behind the pulpit in teaching Bible study that we defend the gospel of Jesus Christ and do it clearly, that we do it truthfully. Because sadly enough, and it breaks my heart, that there's too much compromise of the truth of God's word from those who say that they're ministers of the gospel, and they bring this, this social gospel, they'll bring a prosperity gospel, they'll bring a progressive gospel, which is not the gospel. They bring another one. And they want to be men-pleasers in so many ways. And if any of us that are teaching God's word want to be men-pleasers, then what happens is we open up ourselves to preaching another gospel because the gospel is offensive to many. I was reading this article. It very much concerned me last month. And there was a research that was done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. It was a survey that was done uh, throughout the country, pastors of different denominations, and also evangelical pastors. When I say evangelical pastors, that is pastors of uh, non-denominational churches, like Calvary Chapel is non-denominational. But in this survey, it's very troubling what they found. At least a third of senior pastors in the United States, the article reads, believe no one can earn a place in heaven um, by simply, excuse me, they believe that one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. That you can have salvation if you're good enough, according to a nationwide survey. Also, the research found, examined more than three dozen dozen beliefs held by pastors, they found in addition to believing that people can merit salvation based solely on their good works, one-third or more of senior pastors surveyed also believe the Holy Spirit is not a person, but rather a symbol of God's power. They believe that moral truth is subjective, that physical relations between two unmarried people who love each other is morally acceptable, and the biblical teaching on abortion is ambiguous. At least a third of those surveyed also said they believe that socialism is preferable over capitalism. 
The data reported this. They found that just 37% of Christian pastors have a biblical worldview. And, and their finding, as the article goes on to say, that a loss of biblical belief is prevalent among pastors in all, all denominational groupings. Now, if you think that we're just picking on those of denominations, here's some statistics on evangelical pastors. Nearly 40% of evangelical pastors surveyed said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. That's very troubling. When I read that, all I could think about was the book of Judges. The theme of the book of Judges is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And as you read the book of Judges, that it went from bad to worse because of that. Three in ten evangelical pastors, 30%, did not, did not answer in the affirmative if their salvation is based on having confessed their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we see the direction that the church has gone, getting away from the gospel message, getting away from the truth of God's word, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, his first letter, he would write in chapter 1, For we preach Christ crucified, for the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. And there are those who will come along and tell you and I as we give the gospel, well, that's foolishness. There's many ways to heaven. You know, God accepts everyone. Or they're stumbled by it. And there are those on the other extreme case that were saying that justification isn't just by faith. There has to be more to it. It is based on also what you do rather than Christ alone, on what he did on the cross. And as we continue here, Paul's message of the gospel, he says, listen, it came from God. It wasn't to appease man. And the apostle understood that if he did that, he wasn't truly a bondservant of Christ. And it isn't just a word for us behind the pulpit or teach those teaching Bible study, but it is for all of us. I believe the Bible. I believe the word of God, what the word of God declares, the message of the gospel is given to us in the scriptures and that gospel that we're going to make sure that we understand as we go through this epistle once again, that the just shall live by faith, not by the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He will write in chapter three. Why is the law a curse? Because it cannot save us. There's no hope in the law. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus having become a curse for us. Our hope is in him. Our salvation is found in him. And I believe in every bit of the gospel proclaimed to us that Jesus did it all. And I'm not impressed with man's wisdom coming along and saying this is where salvation is found. Apart from what the scriptures declare. Those who are saying you can find salvation any way that you want. Or this is many roads to salvation. Or you have to do this and perform this in order to be saved. Saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient for our salvation. It's all man's wisdom. And those who fill churches and call themselves Christians, and that includes us, need to decide if this message proclaimed to us is real. And to give it to the people around us. And to do it as long as the Lord tarries to the generation that follows. Even as we dedicate little children to the Lord, we want to make sure that they are getting the gospel message. 
that you as a parent, grandparent have given it to them. They must hear the gospel that will make them wise for salvation. There need to be those like Paul and the other apostles and the early church leaders who stood for the truth and they gave their lives for it. That they're ones that please God, not men. And we need those today who will do the same. Those who will proclaim and defend that which is true and stand against other gospels and messages and voices of men. Because as I mentioned, and as you know, eternity hangs in the balance. There are those who say we can't be exclusive and they change the gospel. It's a broad road. Jesus said it's a narrow road. That Jesus is just a way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way exclusively. And whatever you believe, that we are to believe what the scriptures declare. And if somebody comes along and says there's many ways to heaven, to God, being true to man's definition of God and salvation, rather than being true to God and the message proclaimed in this book, which is inspired by God, will put them on the wrong journey and path and giving them a message which is not true which is not hope we need to be clear about the message of the gospel to others in which we stand on because people's eternity is at stake and they need to hear it clearly you see I grew up in a church where you never clearly heard the gospel message and I grew up for a lot of years in my life believing that if I was baptized as an infant and I was confirmed and if I do all the sacraments and if I am a good person, I'll be okay. And it was told to me that. And it wasn't until I walked in, it was at Calvary Chapel where the Bible actually was opened up and there was the teaching of the Word of God and it just hit me like a, in my heart and it's so true what Hebrews says, that the word of God is alive. And I heard the gospel clearly given to me that I'm a sinner. And I need to confess that. And I need to come to Christ who died for me because of his love for me. Who cried out from the cross, it is finished. And that I come in faith and turn my life to him and call out to him. It wasn't until I heard clearly from someone who was true to the gospel message and faithful to God that I was able to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ and receive salvation. And Paul cannot be any stronger in this statement here. I, I don't seek to please men. I've given you the grace of Christ, the true gospel message that I've received not from men but by Christ. And if anyone or any angel brings any other message of salvation, let them be a curse. For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And all of us have a decision to make. Are we going to be faithful to God? Or are we going to be faithful to man's message? Because to please God and, and to please man in this fallen world puts us on two completely different paths. It's two completely different messages. And I believe that most of you, and I hope all of you, that you say this morning... I want to please God in the message that I give to others and how we are to live our lives for Christ. And as we do live for the Lord and give that message of the gospel, it means that there will be those in your life that will be upset and come against you and criticize you and fight against you. And that's difficult. But we know that to be true because Jesus said that would happen. The Bible says that relationships will be strained and severed, and it's very difficult. Some of you have painful 
experiences of family that no longer wants anything to do with you. And it's hard, especially with the holidays that are coming up. But I do know this, that as you please God, and as you please God with your life and the message of the gospel, because the gospel is not just believing it, it is living it as well. I want you to know this, that you do have a family. You have a family that will never leave you. You have the family of God. And you have a father that is with you and never will leave you or forsake you. So Paul says, I can't be a man pleaser. I can't truly then be a servant of Christ. You can't have two masters is what Jesus said. If you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, you won't please men but him. But I make known to you, verse 11, we read, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Paul would be accused of is there would be the readers, the Judaizers, that would say, Paul, you're making this up. And Paul says, listen, not only was it revealed to me through the revelation of Jesus Christ, but I'm going to show you through the scriptures. And he'll get to that just as he did in the book of Romans. He uses Abraham as an example. Abraham, the father of the faith. Abraham, the father of a nation. Judaizers were saying, well, what about the law? Why was it given it to us? Paul said, listen, it's always been by faith. Because Genesis chapter 15, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When did circumcision come? Chapter 17. It was years later. And Paul is saying, listen, Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith, not because of circumcision. I mean, he'll, he'll make that that, that statement and he, as he defends grace in chapters 3 and 4. Now, here's the thing. When anybody ever says that I've received a revelation from Jesus or from the Lord, and there are plenty of people out there that will say that, it has to line up with the Word of God. If it contradicts the Word of God, contrary to the Word of God, doesn't line up with the Word of God, we are to take it and reject it. And it's very important for us in the day in which we're in to test the spirits to see if they are of God because many false teachers have gone out into the world is what John would write in his epistle. So this isn't my doctrine. It's, 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 you know, uh, it's uh, not man's doctrine, but it's been revealed to me directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll show you. It's been this way from the scriptures, divinely revealed to me. I'll back it up with, with Abraham. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. When you read the book of Acts, chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr Christian that we have recorded there in the book of Acts, he was stoned in Jerusalem by the council. And there was one that gave the consent, as we know from Acts. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He held the coast for those who were throwing the rocks. We know that Saul of Tarsus would become Paul the Apostle. And in chapter 8, Acts tells us that it was this Saul that began a great persecution against the Christians. He made havoc on the church, is what we read in that chapter. And that word havoc is like an animal that is on a rampage, like a shark after blood. He was crazed. He's throwing Christians in prison and putting them to death. And then, of course, he would be converted in chapter 9. 
When Paul was speaking before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, given his testimony, he says he was a part of the strictest sect of Judaism. I was a Pharisee. And that because he was so zealous for his religion, he became exceedingly enraged against the Christians. He said, I was a violent man, an insolent man. I was a waster of the church, is what he writes. In the book of Galatians, or the book of Philippians, excuse me, in that prison epistle, he's writing, he's talking to them about those, again, who are coming along and, and saying you have to be circumcised. He said, have no confidence in the flesh. And if anybody had confidence in the flesh, I more so because I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He was one who studied under Gamaliel, who was called the beauty of the law. He was one that concerning righteousness, which is in the law, he writes, I was blameless. If anybody had confidence in the flesh, it was me. But then he goes on and he writes that I also counted all those things lost, all the religiousness for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, to be found in him and having my own righteousness, which is from the law, not having it, but that which is through Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God through faith. So Paul, having that reputation at one time of being one who excelled, and was zealous for his religion and for the law and for persecuting Christians. So Paul, when he was known as Saul, was truly a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he talks about how he has truly found righteousness through Christ. And when it pleased God, we read, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So it's interesting that Paul states that it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. And I like that because Paul's telling us that God had a plan for his life, even before he was born. And it was a plan that pleased God, and his plan was to reveal his son in me, that I might preach among the Gentiles. But I want us to know something here in verse 15, and, and I pray that it encourages you. He says, God called me before I was born. Jeremiah writes the same thing in, in that Old Testament prophet. He called me through his grace. He saved me. He's called me to ministry, to be an apostle. He has saved you, and he has a calling for you. And it's all according to his grace. He knew that you would be here on this day in October 2022. And he wants to remind you that he set his love on you before you were even born. That you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works before the world began. He has something for you where he has placed you. He wants to gift you. He wants to use you. He didn't say to me, Jeff, you know, I think I'll save you and I think I'll use you because you're so great and smart and worthy and wonderful. Uh -uh. He uses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are that no man will glory in his presence. And I am just so amazed at his incredible grace that has been bestowed upon me the work of Christ on the cross. And it pleased God to save me, and it pleased God 
to save you. And he wants to use you. And it should cause us to marvel at his incredible grace. That God would save somebody like me. That he would save you. And then want to use us? Paul was forgiven so much. And he loved much. And that's why I believe he was such a defender of this gospel of grace. A woman came into that home. Luke chapter 7 records a Simon the Pharisee who had Jesus over for dinner. And as Jesus is there, Simon the Pharisee was rude to him. Didn't greet him. Was just checking him out. You know, trying to find fault with him. And this woman who came in, the the room had to, the people gasp. Why is this woman here? She's known as a notorious sinner. She falls down at the feet of Jesus and she's weeping and she's worshiping. And Simon, the Pharisee, who's seeing all this, he's thinking, he doesn't verbalize it, he's thinking, if, if this man who's a prophet knew who was touching him, this incredible sinner, this notorious sinner, and Jesus he looks up at Simon the Pharisee and he says, Simon, I got a few things to say to you. You were rude to me. You didn't greet me. You know, you have not been a good host. But here she has come and she hasn't stopped weeping and worshiping me. And her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. You think you're all righteous in your religiousness, Simon? He would then look at that woman, and she looked into the eyes of God himself. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As she left that place, He didn't say, oh, excuse me, I forgot to tell you, you have to be baptized. (laughs) Excuse me, but you have to go to this church. Excuse me, you have to perform this thing. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You're forgiven. I wonder what it's going to be like to stand before a holy, righteous God, who knows every thought that I thought, every word that I uttered, everything that I did, and to stand there and think that I can present my own righteousness? In front of a holy, pure, righteous God, and I'm so thankful that I won't be standing alone. That I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And as the old hymn reads, that when the judge shall at last call my name from the throne and say, who will answer for this guilty soul? Through the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. And his sweet voice will say, I will answer for thee.
Father, we thank you. This incredible gospel of grace given to us, a gift by faith. And I thank you that any of us can call on the name of the Lord sincerely with their hearts and turn to you. I thank you that we can come into this place and hear the gospel clearly and also to receive it. For you who are here in the coffee shop or listening online, if you've never come to Christ for salvation, listen, you can't save yourself. It's not man's definition. It comes through Christ alone and faith alone to come to him and realize that you are a sinner and the wages of sin is death and Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. And the Bible says repent. It simply means turn direction, quit going in the direction you're going and thinking the way you're thinking and turn to Christ for salvation and call upon the name of the Lord and ask for forgiveness and believe that Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the grave. He is alive and he's speaking to you right now. He's calling you to come to him, to receive forgiveness, salvation, and relationship with the Father. You can do that right now. You can pray sincerely in your heart that, Jesus, I come, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I thank you that you died on that cross for me, and you cried out, it is finished. Forgive me. And I believe you're alive, risen from the grave, and I ask that you, it's it, upon the throne of my life and my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to live for you and walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for your incredible grace in Jesus' name. And that we would always be established, not to be troubled, not to be deceived by others who come along and present another gospel, but be established in the gospel of truth, in the gospel of Christ, in the gospel of grace. And may we give it to others. Lord, I just want to pray for, as we have a couple of peace officers that are here, wanting to just be available for their community. We pray for your hand to be upon them all our peace officers here in Weld County throughout the state that you would keep them we thank you for their work it is a work that's been ordained by you a good work, an honorable work so we ask Lord that your hand be upon them give them wisdom help them especially as we see lawlessness abounding getting more difficult be able to encourage them. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to keep our eyes on you and on our Lord, especially in, in the days in which we're headed. So, Lord, thank you so much. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name.